Thank you for listening to the Resources for Integrated Care podcast series, Best Practices for Recruiting and Sustaining Successful Enrollee Advisory Committees, EACs. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on March 20th, 2023. In this podcast, Brittany Jackson, a senior consultant at the Lewin Group, facilitates a panel discussion with Kara Curtis, the lead director of business development and director for DSNP and MMP markets at Aetna, a CVS company, Margaret Karosha, the senior director of Medicare Special Needs Plans at UPMC Health Plan Insurance Services Division, and Lisa Duchesne the product director of Medicare Medicaid plan at Neighborhood Health Plan of Rhode Island, NHPRI. During this discussion, panelists offer strategies regarding best practices for recruiting and sustaining successful enrollee advisory committees. The first question is for all of our panelists. So Kara, Margaret, and Lisa. Starting off with Kara, what strategies do you leverage to onboard EAC participants' engagement? So one of the things we do around onboarding actually really starts as part of the recruitment process. You know, when we talking with someone who's interested, we have sort of a checklist of things that we ask and make sure that we convey. One of the things we do right from the beginning is making sure that we sort of capture the member's preferences around language. Do they in need of any special accommodations? Because we really want to make sure that there's no sort of barriers for active engagement. So really sort of starting in that sort of the beginning of the process and talking with the members and also sort of setting up expectations up front. Sort of talked about previously that really making sure that we establish sort of a safe place where, you know, members feel comfortable, that we respect each other, and that we honor confidentiality, and also really sort of establishing some ground rules from the onset. And then one of the other things I wanted to mention around facilitating the meetings is particularly you'll have a range of experiences. You may have some people who really like to talk and go on and on and on. What I have found here at Aetna and also another organization where I was involved with the committees is having a bell actually having some fun with the with the committee members whether they're in person or you know it's virtual is that establishing that ground rule that once that bell goes that means everyone stops talking and it helps to sort of recenter the group so that's something that's been effective that i've seen in two different organizations and then if there is some pauses you know you sort of put a question out there and everyone looks at deer and headlights just be yourself and be genuine and maybe relay a relevant personal experience sometimes I'll talk to people about my 80-year-old mother and something that she might be struggling with that sometimes breaks the ice or gives the members a better sense of really what you're looking for from them when you propose a question. Margaret, I'll turn it over to you next for providing your perspective. Tara, I agree with everything you've said. <laughs> but one thing that I found was very interesting is you have different tenure of membership on the committee. You may have new members, you have members who have been there for a while. It really helps to start the meeting with an icebreaker. And a cute one that I that was in the last meeting was, tell me how you're feeling today in terms of a weather forecast. Everyone can relate to the weather. Are you bright and sunny, cloudy and blah, dark and stormy? So it was interesting. Everyone laughed, kind of broke the ice to start that meeting. I like that a lot, Margaret. Thank you for sharing. And Lisa, could you share your thoughts? Sure. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Lisa Duchesne, but I'd like to share Neighborhoods Member Advocate is at the center of our onboarding and facilitation of meetings. So we are able to recruit from suggestions from our state's ICI council, various community partners, and our own internal member-facing departments. 
our advocate will then interview the potential candidate, sharing a high-level overview of the meeting nuances. So onboarding training consists of interview questions to learn about the participants and their health plan experience, a review of the committee charter and supporting documents, and a review of our Medicare-Medicaid plan benefits. To further engage members, our advocate will also ask participants for some agenda topics, and we often have subject matter experts join the committee meetings to help guide this discussion. Great. Thank you, Lisa. Next question. So the second question is also directed at all three panelists, beginning with Kara again. What has your health plan learned regarding using in-kind benefits for recruitment and retention for your EACs? You know, from eight years of experience, I think we can really sort of talk about what we have found, what has worked and what has not worked. So we have found that the $50 as the in-kind benefit, it really is the really is something, and I think one of the other plans actually does $60. So just giving experience on how we got to the 50 is we started off with $10, then we raised it to 25. And then when we raised it to 50, we saw the participation rate go up almost three times and really being able to retain the members. So based on our experience, we have found that what we're calling is the $50 is where we landed for the in-kind benefit amount. And then also when we think about, we offer gift cards to a variety of our sort of total rewards vendors that we have to think about if there are geographical differences. So if we offer a gift card to, let's just say Walmart, we got to also make sure that the membership in another part of the state also has the same access to that same type of big store, for example. So we have to also think about sort of regional differences. And that one of the things that really have that we try to stress when we're trying to recruit members is really talk about the opportunity for the members to actually be involved in enhancing the plan. So we don't lead with the in-kind benefit. We really try to sort of talk about the value of their participation, but the $50 certainly does does help. What we found has not worked well is starting the recruitment process too close to the meeting. So as I mentioned, we do recruitment all different ways throughout the year, but found that we really, as we sort of get closer to that sort of quarterly meeting, that you have to start at least six to eight weeks out, really sort of firming up who's going to be, who's coming back. And if you have anyone new and you can't do enough outreach, I think this is something that Margaret said. We found that you have to start from a list. If you want to land with like 15 to 20 members, you have to start off with a list of about 150 members. So really have to start very large and get to get down to a size. And we tend to try to keep the meetings relatively small, anywhere between 10 to 15 members. And then obviously what hasn't worked is the lower in-kind benefits, you know, $25 just was not enough to motivate folks. Thank you, Kara. That's helpful. I like some of those considerations that you shared earlier as well about geographical differences. Thank you for sharing. Margaret, I'll turn it to you now. Well, from the PAC perspective with our community health choices, the state Medicaid program actually stopped allowing the plans to provide any type of gift certificates or any other type of remuneration. So we have not had any actual experience from the decent perspective, but as I had said earlier, we intend to add funds to the member's healthy shopper card after attending each meeting. So hopefully I'll take the insights of my other participants in the 50 to $60 range. Thank you, Margaret. And Lisa, I'll turn it to you. So Neighborhood is the plan that does use the $60 as our threshold, and we've been successful with that. But just sharing, additionally, we have some of the same concerns that both Kara and Margaret have raised, but 
from our standpoint, when we talk with our committee participants, we have learned that they really want to be a part of the committee to improve members' overall health plan journey. So it's not not necessarily about the in-kind benefit, but offering in-kind benefits such as transportation vouchers and meals when we were holding the meetings in person has had a, a positive impact on the committee retention and improving relationships within the committee. We did see, we like to keep our committee between 10 and 15 members as well, and we did see a slight decline when we had to move to the virtual setting during the pandemic. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you all for those insightful responses. The third question for you all is how do you ensure that your EAC meetings are relevant and considerate of participants from diverse backgrounds, cultures, and abilities? Kara, we'll start with you. So it really starts, as I mentioned previously, it starts with the recruitment process. So we want to make sure that we have a, a rep, you know, the members that are involved in these committees are representative of our membership. And if we'll have meetings sometimes in different parts of the state, and there may be some differences in the makeup of that membership to be more reflective of that area. So really making sure that you have a good representation of the breadth of your membership and really making sure that you are able to accommodate their preferences. You know, if they have certain special accommodations, particularly one of the things that we spend a lot of energy on is transportation to the meetings. And so sometimes members will have, if maybe have a particular disability and they need a certain type of transportation, and we work with the transportation vendor to make sure that they have the right type of ride to bring and then the other thing that I've, I've also found just from my years of experience is sometimes even getting a person who's sort of like their buddy, someone who's really making sure that they're looking out for them with the upcoming meeting, making sure that you know nothing's changed in terms of their needs, I and mean, really making it a very personal experience and building trust is really important. Great. Thank you, Kara. And Margaret, can we hear from you next? From the same perspective, making sure that we start from a recruitment perspective, looking at the age and gender and LTSS status of our membership across our various zones so that we have a very representative panel. If we choose to go in person, we will look at transportation and appropriate meals for lunch. Our real goal is really to be able to use our senior advisory website, Senior Advisory Academy, to be able to have everything housed in one place. If we need to do any type of Spanish communications, we'll, we'll handle that as well. Thank you, Margaret. And Lisa, would you mind sharing what you all are doing? Um, we've expanded our committee participants to include others besides members, such as caregivers and community advocates, to better understand our members. We often have the committee review materials, such as newsletters and website updates, to ensure they are an appropriate grade level and understandable to our diverse populations. We ensure all the meeting, logistics, and locations accommodate participants with disabilities. Sometimes our advocate will need to look at dates and times of meetings for adjustments for in-person meetings and address any technology changes that need to take place for virtual settings. All right, and our fourth question is, can you please describe strategies for overcoming logistical barriers with hosting EACs? And that could be language, technology, transportation, et cetera. Kara, we'll start with you. One of the things that I, we want to note 
as I mentioned, we are rolling out enrollee committees to 30 different markets in addition to our three MMPs. So right now we are really starting with virtual just so that we can get everything sort of moving smoothly and then we'll move to doing things in person. What we have found, and I, and I really cannot stress this enough, really offering, it, particularly if there is a non-emergency transportation benefit, really helping with the sort of transportation aspect of getting to the meetings in person and also the pickup and really working very closely with the transportation vendor before the, the meeting, really telling them these are exactly the people who need to be picked up any sort of preferences, being in contact with the vendor, a transportation vendor sort of during during the meeting, and then also the pickup process. And in fact, one thing that I've learned as just an industry best practice is that really having someone who's the day of, so if you're doing it in person, who really is designated to troubleshoot transportation issues, can speed dial to the vendor or someone at the vendor is on point. Transportation always doesn't go as planned, particularly with the, the pickups. The transportation ride doesn't come up. Sometimes we've had to pay for an Uber to come and get the member. So really spending a lot of time sort of focusing on the transportation aspect. One of the other things that we want to explore as we move forward is we've been able to accommodate if there's a language need in a particular committee. Sometimes the facilitator is bilingual or will bring someone in. I think one of the markets we have someone that's Vietnamese that comes in to do some translation, but needing to sort of figure out how do we sort of explore multi-language, you know, translation solutions based on the needs of, of the members in that particular group. So those are just some of the things that we're focused on. Very helpful. Thank you. And Margaret? Yes, we've also decided to start out virtual until we have in-person logistics in place to make sure we have video conferencing available in various locations throughout the state. And the most important thing that we've found is to provide not just that introduction to how to log into the meeting and whether it's a community engagement representative or one of our tech guides that are able to be a point of contact to train the member on how to navigate the conference call. We also provide a phone number to use during the call so that if there is an issue, we'll be able to be able to get in touch with someone who can help talk them through without distracting the rest of the meeting that's ongoing. Okay, thanks for sharing, Margaret. And Lisa, I will turn it to you. So we're moving to a hybrid type meeting model. So we'll have some of our meetings in person and we'll have some of our meetings virtual. But that being said, our member advocate is in contact with our participants prior to all meetings through phone calls and email. And she's making sure that the location is central based on the committee participants demographics. So we hold our in-person meetings at our various community health center offices and they have, there are partners in the community and they have the proper means to handle participant barriers. So that's a good location. She also ensures that the correct voucher is provided for any transportation needs and arranged. So that could be a taxi voucher, a bus pass, or a wheelchair van voucher. So phone calls also are made day of the meeting to make sure that the transportation is going to happen. So for virtual meetings, any technology needs are addressed by our advocate and the participant of the committee. 
So we have offered tablets and technology training for participants who require them. And then as a best practice, we also have had Spanish speaking staff attend our meetings and we can provide interpreters for participants that ask for them. Great, thank you, Lisa. So our fifth and final question directed at our panel is, what unanticipated challenges or unintended consequences occurred when you initiated your EAC activities? And what has your plan done to overcome them? Kara, we'll start with you. So talking a little bit about virtual from experience is obviously some folks, you know, not, never had experience participating in a conference call. So sometimes they'll just have the TV on, not realizing that folks can hear that. So really having someone who's on point to be able to, you know, to mute all lines if necessary. I think the other thing that I mentioned earlier is sometimes you have some folks that like to talk a lot. And I sort of made fun of this, well, sort of lightly, but it, particularly as you establish rapport with your group. And, and I'm not joking about using the bell like as a way of sort of sort of that ground rule that once that bell goes, that means everyone stops talking, even the person, and then it gives a chance for the facilitator to like sort of get control back to the conversation. And the other thing you could also have for virtual that we found has worked is I'm going to call it the, the good cop and the bad cop. So you have the facilitator who's sort of managing and then have someone who has a particularly deep, maybe deep voice, booming voice, and sort of jump in to sort of pause the conversation, particularly if you have those that like to talk on and on and on. So those are just a couple of things that we have found that works. Thank you for sharing, Kara. And Margaret, I'll turn it to you. Thank you. I'm sure as almost everyone on the phone can appreciate the unanticipated challenge of just how long it takes to get everything through your internal compliance and legal approvals was something that we really had not planned on. And also, as everyone has indicated, it really takes a strong meeting facility for these meetings to address the various meeting pitfalls that we face every day. You know, the conversation dominator or the drawing out the silent members, um, handling anyone who might be derogatory to other members. And it's just critical so that the meeting just doesn't fall off the rails and, and not be effective. Exactly. Thank you for sharing, Margaret. And then Lisa, will you please share with us what your plan does? I think to add to Margaret's comments, the value of our member advocate is just fantastic. I mean, she helps the members get where they need to go and that the meetings are on point, what the agenda topics are going to be, do we have the appropriate guest speaker, and it's just a, a very rewarding experience from my standpoint when I attend the meetings and see all the great work that she does. But So we started our member advisory committee meetings in 2016, and we have learned a lot from both our active part in the member advisory committee and our state's ICI council meetings. So given our experience, I think we are confident in our ability to convert to the requirements around member advisory for the DSNIP platform. And we have recently started to analyze the differences between the two. Thank you so much for sharing. And thank you all for these helpful responses and sharing all of the really meaningful work that's going on in your plans. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes the full range of covered services in both programs.
to support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated, coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about current efforts and resources, please visit our website, www.resourcesforintegratedcare.com. You can also find us on Twitter. Our handle is at integrate underscore care or follow resources for integrated care on LinkedIn to stay up to date with our recent products and technical assistance.